And I'm delighted to be here talking about and talking to daughters and sons of the king this morning. And I noticed earlier when they said, well, ladies, if you want to talk to her, men, I will talk to you as well. <laughs> I, I thought I ought to mention that just in passing. You know, in thinking about the theme for the weekend, being a child of the king is indeed our greatest privilege, but at the same time, our most challenging responsibility. It's one thing to say, I'm God's child. It's another thing to believe I'm God's child. And it's a totally different thing to live like God's child. And what we're going to be talking about today, this morning, this afternoon, is living like, living as a daughter, a son of the king. And I anticipated as I started praying for this presentation that I'd have a lovely story from Scripture about some woman who had done wonderful things that would show us what we needed to do. So I went to the Bible for that story or that passage, and what I got was something else. And so I went back to the Bible because, you know, sometimes when God talks to you, you think perhaps you didn't get the memo. And so I went back... And the story that came time and time again was the same story. Very short story. Actually, less than 200 words. That's not even a good essay for those of you in graduate school. However, a powerful little story. So we're going to spend some time this morning unpacking slowly one little story from Scripture. And the focus of this story, or at least part of it, is spit. Yes. I could have said saliva. But you know, the Bible says spit. And I want to be like him. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about daughters of the king, sons of the king, and the spit in our eyes. Shall we pray? Father, we have come here in your presence because we are in need and because you have what we need. Speak to us now. You know me. I ask that you would take all that I have and all that I am. Remove anything that stands between me and you, but more importantly, between you and your people that your word might flow freely, that your Holy Spirit might touch us, convict us, and change us. And when you have done what only you can do, we will give you all of the honor and all of the glory forever. I've been reading stories about blind people. You know, sometimes you take something in scripture and just follow it through. And for whatever reason, I was following through the stories about blindness and how Christ healed the blind and how Christ came, he says, to give sight to the blind. And I was excited about what Christ had been doing. And then I came to Mark 8. Mark 8, starting with verse 22, and the little story about spit. 
And in Mark 8, verse 22, it says, speaking about Christ, and he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hand again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Short story. Not much at all in terms of size, but I suspect a lot in terms of one man's life, and I think says some things today to us that may say a lot in terms of our lives, our lives as children of the king. And I'm going to ask you to walk with me through that story, step by step, because this story starts off differently from some of the other blind stories. If we look at Luke 19 and the story of the blind man there, the blind man comes to Christ and Christ says to the blind man, what is it that you want? And the blind man says, I want to see. Have you ever been in that situation? You know you're missing something. You know you don't have something. And you come with an urgency. I want to see. Lord, help me to see. Does this story start that way? How does this story start? And I will talk to you, and you will talk to me, because I'm a stranger and a foreigner here, and you want to be nice. But how does this story start? Does it start the same way with a man who comes to Christ and says, I want to see? No. It starts where some people brought a blind man to Jesus and said, Lord, touch him. Because understand that there are some blind people who seem to be okay with the fact that they're blind. They've been blind a long time, and they know how to function as blind people. They've got the braille down. They know exactly how many steps it is to get from here to here. And life is going on just fine for the blind man. At least we have no indication of anything else. And perhaps occasionally he dreamt about being able to see. But it didn't sound like he was doing a lot about it. We're talking about being daughters and sons of the king. Are there some of us, you knew it was going to come like this, didn't you? Who are quite comfortable with where we are? We know it now. We understand how to do it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But some of you have been Christian a long time. Some of you were raised in Christian homes. Some of you have been studying the Bible a long time, and I should say us. And sometimes, we're just busy doing life. Just out of curiosity, how many of you are in graduate school? I remember that. I remember that very strongly. I remember what it was like to have school almost absorb and take over your entire life. Does that resonate with anybody? 
You get up in the morning thinking about what you have to do, planning what the next step is. Some of you have theses and dissertations coming. And life gets to be day-to-day -day busy about what it is I'm here to do. And some of us teach, and some of us do other things. But I suspect that for many of us, our lives go on pretty much day to day. Am I right? Or is this a different group from the groups that I'm used to? Because if so, talk to me and we'll make adjustments along the way. Yes? Life goes on, and it keeps us busy, and we're involved. And the blind man was busy doing his life. What does Jesus do first? Look at your Bibles. The Bible says that Jesus took him by the hand. Now, what did his friends ask for? To touch him. You know, just kind of hit him, Lord, and say, be healed. <laughs> and it'll be done. Jesus often doesn't do what he does the way we anticipate. And so he takes this blind man who's doing fine by the hand. Come with me. Has Jesus taken you by the hand yet? Have you felt yet Jesus reach out and hold on to you? Because if you haven't felt that yet, we're not quite ready to talk about being children of the king. Are you with me? The children of the king are men and women who Christ has taken by the hand in the midst of the lives that we're busy doing, in the midst of all that's going on, and said, come. And he takes him by the hand where? My Bible says, and he took him outside of the village. Think about this for a moment. You're a blind man. Okay. In a time where we're not talking trains and planes and so forth, you're a blind man. What do you know? You know your house and you know your village. And you can get around in your house or your village because you've counted the steps, you figured it out, the people know you, they protect you so you don't bump into things. And here comes a stranger, takes you by the hand, and takes you outside of your village. What does that feel like? You're a blind person. What does that feel like? Because there are days, you know, when we need to take Scripture, and we need to go at Scripture analytically, and we need to take it apart, we need to do the theological studies. But there are days when we need to go to Scripture and we need to experience what God is doing. Not either or, both. And today I want you to feel a little bit as the blind man being taken out of his village. What's happening? He's uncomfortable. I would take it even a little further than that. Scared, flat out scared, okay? I have just left what I know. I can't find anything. If he leaves me alone out here, will I find my way home? If he leaves me alone out here, 
What am I going to trip over? Will I hurt myself? Who will hear me when I call? Am I connecting with you? Is this making sense to you? Jesus took him by the hand and took him outside of his village. Daughters and sons of the king have followed the Lord outside of the village where they can't see and they don't know and they can't fix it. Has the Lord done that to you yet? Did you like it? Did you resist it? I'm thinking that if I was the blind man, I'm not going meekly. Where are you taking me? What do you want? What are you going to do with me? And there are days I'm like that with the Lord. Father, again, where are we going? Haven't we moved enough? I am not Abraham. Why is it important that we allow the Lord to take us out of our village, out of that space that we understand, where we function well, where we have developed skills, out of that space where we can quote the proof texts, into a place where we don't understand, we don't know where we're going, we don't know how it's going to end, and we could hurt ourselves, we could get lost. Why would Christ do that? Couldn't he just have healed the blind man in his village? So he just wants to make life hard? He just wants to make life complicated? Is that it? He wants to teach us what? That we are indeed blind. You know, it seems sort of obvious, but he wants to say to us, you are not all that. We're being very basic and simple today. Little story, step by step. Because sometimes to understand what it means to be God's child, I need to understand, Janice, you're not all that. All of what you have has a limit which can be achieved very quickly when God takes me out of my village. It's over. Have you ever had an experience in life? You brought to it all your education, all of your understanding, all of your experience, all of your heart, and couldn't do anything? God needs children who understand that there is a limit to all of what we can gather in schools of higher learning. There is a limit to all of what we can gather even in our typical study. There is a place where only God can take us and only God can help us. Why am I telling you the obvious? Because if you're like me, in our day-to-day lives, We forget the obvious. And we continue to try to keep ourselves safe. 
This afternoon, we'll talk a little bit about some ways in which we try to keep ourselves safe. But we try to limit ourselves from going too far out because one, we're scared, and two, what about the other villagers? You know those other people that are wondering why the blind people are letting strangers drag them off in strange directions? Do you have any of those in your life? The villagers who say, but but you're blind. Stay home. Don't you understand that you're a woman, or you're young, or you're poor, or you're limited in some other way? Shh, and sit down. Because, you know, blind people are safest when they just sit down. Don't get up, don't go anywhere, you won't bump into anything, you won't hurt yourself. God is looking for people, however, who will go where he takes them. So he takes them outside of the village. And you can see, if we're not careful, we will spend all day on the first two things that happened here. He took him outside of the, by the hand, led him outside the village. And then I got to the yuck part. Yes, that is a scholarly word. And the Bible says, and he spit in his eyes. And I, I thought to myself, you know, the Bible's been translated, so maybe... It's coming across to me differently from... So I went and looked it up. And the original says, that's actually the word, ptuo. And I'm thinking, Lord, they asked you to touch him. (laughs) And the God of the universe spit in his face. Have you ever read this story? Did you get what I got? Did you see it in scripture? And what did you think? Be the blind man for a moment. Was he expecting it? I was about to say, did he see it coming? (laughs) But what did that feel like? I'm, I'm feeling that hit my face run down my face, in my eyes. Why did he let Jesus spit on him? And why did he stay there after Jesus spit on him? I mean, because even in the Bible it says, if you go back to the Old Testament, you will find that Scripture very clearly tells us that spit is used for disdain, But if you go back into, I believe it's Deuteronomy, where they say if someone has an issue, if they have some kind of illness, and they spit on you, you're unclean. And you need to be taken apart, which is a good thing. Because saliva, and those of you who are medically inclined and trained, I am not, but I understand that saliva can transmit disease. Correct? In fact, that's one of the ways that I understand you transmit SARS, and the eyes are particularly sensitive because those droplets enter the eye and enter the human system. Yes? Jesus spit in his face, in his eyes. And then I started thinking, have you ever seen somebody put their spit on somebody else out of love? Have you? Mothers do it all the time. (laughs) And we don't say, 
We think, what a lovely mother. <laughs> Those of you who are married, I understand, you know, this is what they tell me. I understand that those of you who are married share spit all the time. <laughs> Let's not get too sidetracked. What are we saying about God? That God may use some non-traditional ways to mark those who are His. In the same way that a mother might use her spit to deal with her child. And so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about this and I'm focusing on this story in Scripture for quite a while. And I can talk about some things we did in commentaries, but I want to keep this very simple this morning. Because one of the things that I realized is when Christ spit in this man's eye, the spit went into the man's system. What does the spit of God contain? The DNA of the creator of the universe. Are you with me? The DNA of the creator of the universe. Now again, this is Loma Linda, so you know more than I do about certain things. What does DNA do? What is it? What do we know about it? I'm sorry? Okay. It helps determine your uniqueness for one. I understand that the only way someone else in the world would have your DNA is if they're your identical twin, is that correct? The exact DNA structure that you have? Because it is a unique identifier, God's DNA is like no one else's. No one else's. Your children's DNA related to yours, no? Correct? Are you with me? What would it be like if in every part of your body, every cell, every minutest section of your body, you carried God's DNA? Would your life be different? Are there any areas of your life that don't reflect your father? Because let me tell you something, when Christ spit in the eyes of that blind man, something changed. Came across a study recently that was scary to me. They interviewed 16, I believe, to 26-year-olds, the majority of whom said they were not Christians. And they asked them, do you know any Christians? 84% of them had a friend or knew someone closely who was a Christian. However, less than 15% of those people felt that the Christian behaved in any way differently from them. They didn't feel that the Christian was different than they are. There are some of us walking around claiming to have the DNA of the creator, the master of the universe. But it only shows up on Sabbath or in religious contexts. 
It works in most of the areas of my life except fill in the blank. Can you tell of an area in your life that doesn't show that God has spit into your system? And if so, what happens next? Jesus said to him, do you see anything? Was the answer yes or no? Jesus spit in his eye, touched him and said, do you see anything? Yes or no? Yes, it worked. Jesus spit in his eye and he saw. Many of us have had Jesus take us by the hand. We're on the edge of the village. We might even have left the village. And Jesus has somehow touched our lives and infiltrated who we are. And we're changed. Raise your hand if meeting Christ changed you. We're changed. We can see. And we're excited. And the man says, yes, I can see. And I think he was excited. He could see. What did he see? He saw men like trees walking. Enough? I mean, Jesus spit on him. He touched him. Why can't he see clearly? Don't miss this. Whatever else you miss, don't miss this part. Let me suggest to you that Jesus could indeed, as he did with all the other blind people, quote-unquote, get it right the first time. But there's a lesson here for us. We are willing to settle for too little. We are willing to accept not enough from God. God seeks to give us everything, and many of us are still halfway there. You're looking at me with very serious faces, which could mean, no, not at all, not at all. Or it could mean, as it did for me as I looked at that story, that the Holy Spirit started touching places in my life. So Janice, where has God called you out of the village, moved you along, and you have settled for less than where you started out to go? Lord, I want to be your child. I want to be totally like you. And I was getting there, Lord, but you know, um, now that I'm a doctor, people have expectations from me. People expect, and Lord, I'm still a really good Christian. Lord, you know, I'm no longer a racist. I'm no longer whatever kind of ist I used to be. Now, it's true there's some people in the church I can't stand. You understand, Lord, those are the ones who, for whatever reason, don't get the doctrines right, or the people who, whoever they are, but Lord, you know, I'm not a racist. Does the Bible call us to not be racist? Does the Bible tell us it's enough? What does the Bible call us to do? To love 
everybody. So when you got over group A and you got over group B and you got over group C, but you're still struggling with group D, which may have nothing at all to do with race, we're not there yet. We see men like trees walking, or we don't see them at all. Are there people in your life that you don't see? People you pass by that you don't see. You know, we thought we did really well when we started seeing the homeless. We see them now. We don't talk to them, maybe. I would never bring them home, and please don't let them come into my office. But Lord, I see them, and I give money. Am I making sense to you? Are we seeing this in the Word? He saw men like trees walking, and I suspect that he saw Christ like trees walking. And the Lord said, no, not enough, not good enough. And the Lord touched him again. And this is my absolutely favorite part of this story. The Lord touched him again. And what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Look at those words individually. It says he what? I didn't hear that. Yes. And saw every man clearly. Not one, not two. He saw every man clearly. And I want to believe that the first thing that he saw was the face of Jesus Christ. Daughters and sons of the king see Christ clearly. See, some of us see him, but we don't see him clearly. We see him, but he looks like us. We see him, but he looks like the pastor. We see him, but we see him through the lens of our past experiences. And we relate to a God that we see like trees walking. And what God wants from us today is the ability to see him clearly. We're going to talk a little bit about this this afternoon. This morning, all I can do is lay out some framework for you. This afternoon, we'll dig into some of that. He saw Christ clearly. And he saw the people around him clearly. And I don't know your life, but I know that for most of us, we need to go home today and ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that I don't see clearly? Is it you? Is it someone else or someone's else? But you know what I think? must have been fascinating because they had some kind of mirrors in those days. And if they didn't have mirrors, they surely had bodies of water. What happened when he saw himself? He saw every man clearly, including himself. Why is that important? Because I suspect many of us as daughters particularly of the God of the universe, do not see ourselves clearly. We see what the world has taught us to see. We see what our families may have taught us to see. And we hold that image. I went to the doctor once, actually, once in the not too far past, 
And we had the doctor's session and so forth and so on. And after the session, I happened to glance at his notes. And the notes said, da -da 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 -da, obese black woman, da -da 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 -da. and I said, what? A little overweight, you know, put on a little bit of obese black woman. <laughs> and I went home and looked up some things and so forth and so on and thought, oops, I need to see myself differently. And seeing myself differently led to some changes. When Christ calls us, when he leads us aside, when he takes the time and energy to spit on us, to touch us, it is so we can see ourselves the way that he sees us. Not just our sin, but the type of person that he has created us to be, the type of person he is going to cause us to be. I wonder if the blind man continued running around calling himself the blind man of Bethesda. How many of us are still wearing the labels that we wore before we met Christ? We're still seeing ourselves as that person that we used to be and allowing the devil to name us that person? Are you with me? When I studied this story, and I spent a lot more time on it, and there's a lot more that I didn't share today. When I studied this story, I was deeply struck. I was struck because I understood that I had not allowed God to do for me and in me what it is he wanted to do. And this is when I was coming to the session, I wanted to do something really scholarly. This is a university and so forth and so forth. But I think it is important that we begin, particularly as women, to say, first, we need an experience with Christ that allows us to see. What we do afterwards is dependent on who we are and who other people are and who God is. And what we're going to do this afternoon is walk through some of that bit by bit and show how that then manifests itself. The blind man behaved differently afterwards, not because he could see, but because he had seen Christ, and Christ changed him. So I'm following spit through the Bible, because that's what happens. You get excited about something, you start following it. And I want you to turn with me, if you would, very briefly, still in Mark, Mark 10, Verse 36, because Mark 10, 36, okay, actually, let me move back a little bit. Mark 10, let's go to 33 and 34, I'm sorry, where Jesus is predicting his own death, and he says, we go up to Jerusalem, the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests, unto the scribes. They shall condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. They shall mock him and scourge him and shall spit on him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. And if you go to Mark 14, 65 and Mark 15, verse 19, you're going to find two groups of people and the spit is going the other way. 
you're going to find the Jews who are spitting on Jesus before the Sanhedrin. And you're going to find the Romans spitting on Jesus as they prepare him for his crucifixion. Because there are really only two choices. Choice number one is we come blind, maybe even unaware that we are blind, and God spits on us. And we are transformed. We are transformed into his image, into his likeness, and we become one with him. The other option is that we, as broken, as fallen, as lost as we are, have the gall, the absolute outright temerity to gather in our mouths our spittle and spit on the God of the universe. There is no middle ground one or the other. And you can tell the children of God by the direction in which the spit is flying. As gross as that sounds. This morning, you get to choose. If you choose to allow God to touch you with the essence of who he is, things are going to change. You cannot continue where you are. I don't care how far we came from to get here. He's going to take us further. And it's not always going to be simple or cosmetically pleasing or elegant because God wants to save us by any means necessary. If you say no, and I know we think we're wonderful people who would never spit on anybody, but if you say no, if you refuse to go all the way, by default, we stand next to the Roman soldiers, we stand next to the mob as we spit on Christ. I don't know what saliva is going to be like in heaven. I don't know that I'm really that interested in that question. But I do know that when it's over, that's where I want to be. I want to be there because Christ has transformed me. So this morning, without all of the clinical and academic stuff that we all can do, and we know that. The Spirit asks you to make a choice. Further from here or not. I'm not going to have an appeal. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, come to the front. I'm going to have just a moment of silence, and then we're going to close. So that you can talk to your God in response to whatever he has said to you. Because I worry, I worry about
thinking that I'm standing still while I'm truly turning around. Take a moment. Father, we come to you this morning. You know how much I wrestled with the simplicity, with the lack of all of the trimmings. But your word is powerful in all of its forms. I thank you for this story. I thank you for its simplicity. And Lord, I thank you for the work that the Holy Spirit has done and is doing in this space. We bring to you our answers, our thanks, our submission. Perhaps our questions and our struggle, our reluctance, are not quite being able to cross over. We ask that you send your strength and your power. The blood of Calvary carries the same DNA as the spit that went into that man's eyes. We are cleansed by your blood. We are changed by your blood. And we thank you. Be with us now. May the change in us be the change that changes the world through us, by your grace and by your power. We thank you and we love you. Amen.